Brothers and sisters, I invite you to open with me to Psalm 67. If you have a copy of God's Word, it's a real privilege to be able to bring God's Word to you, and thank you for this opportunity. Psalm 67, Old Testament passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. This is one of my, this is my favorite psalm in the Bible, and uh, I think a psalm that really highlights, showcases God's heart for the nations of the world. You should join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, I do pray now that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. Lord, help us to, to focus in. We pray that any distractions that are present you would cast out, Lord, and that you would help us to attend to this word, Lord. And I pray that you would speak to it, speak to us through it, Lord, through your spirit. We pray this in Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Psalm 67, I'm going to read the the whole psalm. This is the word of the Lord. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. It's not uncommon to place special value and importance on somebody's last words. The final words that someone speaks often possess a special significance. It's especially the case in Eastern cultures where it's often understood that a great teacher is is going to save his most important teachings until the very end. When people think about the, the last words and teachings of Jesus... They often think of his final sayings on the cross, right? But technically, those aren't the last words and teachings of Jesus, right? Because if you read the Gospels and the book of Acts, find a collection of post-resurrection sayings of Jesus. And and really, these post-resurrection sayings make up the final words of Jesus prior to his ascension. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. What is the focus? What is the theme of the final words of Jesus to his disciples. Because I think if you do a a study of those final teachings and words, a theme will will very clearly begin to emerge. And that theme is gospel witness and missions. John 20, verse 21, after the resurrection, what does Jesus say? As the Father sent me, even so I am am sending you. Matthew 28, the the last words in the gospel of Matthew, after Jesus' resurrection, what does he say? Authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Or, or how about the book of Acts? Just before Jesus ascends, his actual final words to his disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Missions is, in my opinion, the primary theme in the final sayings of Jesus. And it's not just a suggestion from Jesus. It's an expectation. 
Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. I am sending you. And he gives a command in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. Hudson Taylor, the well-known missionary to China, he put it this way, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. See, missions, gospel witness, it's not some optional elective that some people can participate in while others sit on the sidelines. It's something God has called his whole church to be involved in. One of my favorite preachers once said, you are either called to go down into the well or you hold the rope for those who go down. Now, involvement in the work of missions is going to look a little bit different for everybody. Some people go, some people pray, some people give, others encourage. But it is my conviction that missions is a very important subject. It is, after all, one of the dominant themes in the final sayings of Jesus himself. And I think that means every Christian ought to have at least a basic understanding of Christian missions. And that's part of what I want to lay the foundation for today. And I can think of few better places to do so than from Psalm 67. This is my favorite psalm in the Bible. It's a psalm I came to deeply love during my time in in seminary. And although it's in the Old Testament, it it sets forth a a bright missionary vision that, that calls you to see and to participate in God's mission to the ends of the earth. See and participate in God's mission to the ends of the earth. And what I'd like to do this morning is consider four facets of missions that spring from this text, which will hopefully give you a better understanding of missions and encourage, motivate you to think about how you can be more involved in the work that God is, is doing, okay? The first facet of missions that I'd, I'd like to consider with you is the, the object of missions. That is, to whom is missions directed? And the clear answer that this passage gives us is, is all peoples. The object of missions is all peoples. See, look at some verses with me. Verse 2 says that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. In the end of verse 7, let all the ends of the earth fear him. And then you have that main refrain of the psalm. It's repeated in verse 3 and verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. There's no question after reading these verses to whom missions is directed. It's all peoples. You see, that's God's heart for the world. He desires to see all peoples praise him, not just Americans and Europeans and Westerners, all peoples, peoples in America and Canada and Mexico and Brazil and Argentina, Germany and and Spain, Egypt and Zimbabwe, Saudi Arabia and Iran, Cambodia, Japan, and many, many more. And and understand also this, God's heart isn't just for geopolitical nations to to praise him. God, God once more particularly, I would say, all, all people groups to be praising him. This was an insight made by a man named Ralph Winter in 1974 at the Lausanne Missions Conference in Switzerland. And he, he helpfully shifted the focus in missions from reaching nations to reaching people groups because he, he recognized within various countries and nations, you often have hundreds, sometimes thousands of smaller people groups and, and, and ethnic groups. It's estimated, for example, in the nation of India that there are over 2,000 distinct ethnic people groups and several hundred dialects 
of Hindi. And what I want you to see is God's heart is not just for a few people in the, in the country of India to praise him, but for all of these people groups to be praising and worshiping him. Because that's, if you think about it, that's a picture in the book of Revelation, right? The apostle John, he looks out, he sees a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. It's in the Great Commission, Jesus commands his disciples to go and make, uh, to go and make disciples of all, all nations. And that word nations there is ethne, from which we get our English word ethnicities. Make disciples of all ethnicities, all people groups. That's what missions is about. It's about reaching every people group, people from every nation and tribe and language with the good news of Christ. And you know, it's not, it's not easy to have this sort of global vision, to see God as the global God who is the Lord of the nations. It's easy to make God into some personal private God, especially when we're surrounded with a lot of American Christianity that's always talking about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that at all, as long as that's only one part of the story. It's not wrong to desire a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus, but if that's all you believe, you're missing an integral aspect of who God is. He's the Lord of the nations. He's not just your personal Lord and, and Savior. He, he's king of the world. He desires that peoples from every land and tribe and language would praise him. That, that's, that's the object of missions. All the ends of the earth. All the peoples of, of the world. It's an exciting, exciting vision. So that's the, the object of missions. But what are we hoping would be the result of our missions efforts? When we do missions, what are we hoping to see happen? What are we striving for? And that takes me to the second facet of missions from this passage, which is the goal of missions. What's the goal of missions? If you look with me at verses 3 and 5 again, see what it says there. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And verse 4, let the nations be glad and let them sing for joy. Verse 7, let all the ends of the earth fear him. And so, what's the goal of missions that we see here? Well, very simply, the goal of missions is worship. The goal of missions is to bring about the praise of all peoples, for all the nations to be glad and sing for joy, for all the ends of the earth to fear God. Perhaps no one has captured this truth better than, than John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. This is what he has to say in the opening words of his book. He says this, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. So worship is the fuel and goal of missions, end quote. Okay? Missions exist because worship doesn't, right? If everyone in the world was worshiping Jesus Christ, there would be no need for missions. But that's, that's not the case. There are millions, millions of people who do not know Jesus Christ, who do not worship him. And that is why missions exist, 
Because God is not glorified around the world and we want to see people worship him and give him the glory, the one who is worthy of all worship. The aim is to bring people into an enjoyment of God's glory in order that God might be glorified. Okay, so, so worship is the goal of what we're aiming for. Now, practically, what, what does that mean for us when we do missions? Well, one thing it means, one application of this is that it means that the main thing we ought to be doing in missions is preaching the gospel. Because it is the gospel, the gospel alone, that can bring people and lead them to, to worship and an enjoyment of God. Missions is about proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to bring about worship. And I think that's a, an important reminder. That there's, there's a lot of people out there, even, even some professing Christians who would say the the goal of missions is really just to alleviate human suffering here on earth. And so missions is really just about, uh, you know, digging wells, building homes, and painting walls, and giving money to the poor, working to stop trafficking, and so forth. That's all missions is about. Now, I want to be clear here. I don't want to be misunderstood that there's, there's nothing wrong with working to alleviate human suffering and fighting against the injustices in this fallen world. That's a good thing to do. And, and we ought to demonstrate our love for people by doing those sort of things. Let me also remind you that you can dig all the wells you want. You can give all of your money to the poor. You can build all the houses you want. Those things alone are not going to lead anyone to worship and bring them into an enjoyment of God's glory and a saving relationship with Jesus. And you see, that's, that's the crux of the issue. What, what good is it if we do all that we can to make people's lives better here on earth, but then they die apart from Christ, only to spend an eternity in hell? You see, the, the ultimate goal of missions is not to alleviate human suffering. In fact, when you bring the good news of the gospel and people accept it, it often leads to suffering. Right? Look at China right now. Look at Iran. Christians are suffering for the name of Christ. People will often face persecution for accepting the gospel. So alleviating human suffering cannot be the goal of missions. The ultimate goal of missions, as we see here, as we see across the scriptures, is the glory of God in the worship and praise of all peoples. So that's the second facet of missions, the goal of missions. It's the glory of God and the worship and praise of all peoples. And that, that leads me then to this next question. How, does this, how do we bring this goal about? What is the means for leading people into the worship of, of God? So we move to the third facet of missions, which I'm calling the means of missions. What is the means of missions? And the means of missions is it's us. It's the church of Jesus Christ. God has so ordained to use the church, to use his body as the means for bringing about the worship of all peoples. Would you look at verses 1 and 2 with me here in Psalm 67? We'll start with verse 1. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. This is a really a fascinating verse. And the reason is because the language used in this verse is very similar to language that is used earlier in the Old Testament. In the book of Numbers, chapter 6, you've probably heard the Aaronic priestly benediction before from Numbers 6, verses 24 to 26. Often how some of our worship services end, the Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You'll notice the language here in verse 1 of Psalm 67 is very similar to the language in Numbers 6. In each of those passages, there's a call for God to be gracious, for God to bless, and for God to make his face to, to shine. See, the author of Psalm 67, he, he very clearly had the passage in Numbers 6 in mind. There are a few differences between the two passages, and I want you to notice uh, perhaps the greatest difference between number 6 and here in Psalm 67. The passage in number 6 is it's fundamentally a pronouncement of blessing upon the people of Israel. The Lord bless you, and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Now what the author of Psalm 67 does is he takes this blessing that was pronounced by Aaron upon the people of Israel, and he declares the reason or the purpose for that blessing. Look at verse 2. That your way may be known on earth, and your saving power among all nations. Okay, so verse 1, it's this great prayer. God, may you be gracious to us, may you bless us, may you make your face to shine upon us. Why? What's the reason or the purpose that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. In other words, the purpose of God's blessing of the people of Israel was that they would in turn be a blessing to the nations of the world by making known God's saving power. Listen to these words from one theologian. He says, the fresh insight here is the prayer for blessing is not a dead end street. It's not a favor implored for oneself. It is intended to function as a channel for God's revelation and salvation to the nation. God's favor is desired for the sake of others. Okay, so you see what's happened here. The ironic benediction in number six is taken and it is given a missionary focus. Israel Israel was chosen. Israel was blessed to be a means for reaching the rest of the nations of the world. And you today in the church, you've been blessed, you've been chosen by God, not so that you can just live an easier, more convenient life for yourself. You've been called by God to be a blessing to others so that the peoples of the earth might come to a saving knowledge of God. Election is not a call to privilege, it's a call to service. The church is to be the means and reaching out to the rest of the nations of the world. That's why, if you read the book of Acts, in Acts 13, who is it that sends out Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey? It's, it's the church. Those in the church at Antioch realized they had been blessed by God, not just to sit around and enjoy all of God's blessings for themselves, but they had been blessed to be a blessing to others. And so they send out Paul and Barnabas on these missionary journeys to reach the nations of the world. The church is the means of missions. You hear it, Trinity, you're you're called as well to be the means of missions, reaching out to the ends of the earth because of everything that God has blessed you with. God's blessing doesn't terminate with you. It's meant to lead you to serve and bless others. Now, there's a number of ways that the church can do this, that the church functions as this means of, of missions. And one way, of course, is by sending out missionaries. And I'll be honest, I'm a little bit biased here, but I really think we need more missionaries. We really do. There's place after place after place across this world 
that doesn't have access to the gospel, where people will go their entire lives without ever hearing about Jesus, or someone may not even meet another Christian. There's a tremendous need for more missionaries and overseas workers. So if you want to join us in Cambodia, please, love to talk to you. We'd love to have you join us. But, but I also want you to realize one of the really neat things about the world we're living in is that the nations are often living around us, often in our own neighborhoods and backyards and workplaces. Do you know there are over one million international students studying in the United States right now? So what that means is you can often do missions in your own backyards because the nations are often living all around us. Just got to open our eyes and, and, and see them. So that, that's one way that we as a church, even here in the United States, can be a blessing to the nations by engaging those of different cultures around us. And the other thing the church can do is, is be praying. You know, earnestly pray. John Piper in his book that I already mentioned, he, he refers to prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie that we employ to call out for God's help in the midst of the spiritual warfare we find ourselves in. Listen to this quote from Piper on, on prayer and why it's so important. Not only has God made the accomplishment of his purposes hang on the preaching of the word, but he's also made the success of that preaching hang on prayer. God's goal to be glorified will not succeed without the powerful proclamation of the gospel. And that gospel will not be proclaimed in power to all the nations without the prevailing, earnest, faithful prayers of God's people. The gospel is not going to be proclaimed in power without the prayers of God's people. And that's why I think the Apostle Paul you read the epistles so frequently throughout his letters, he pleads with the churches to be praying for him, to be praying that God might open up a door for the spread of, of the gospel. And so do you want to play a, a role in advancing the work of missions? Then, then pray, labor in prayer before the Lord. I could go on and on with different things the church can be doing to assist in the work of missions, whether that's giving or encouragement or missionary care or so on. The point is that, that, that you all in the church, you're God's appointed means, the instrument to further the spread of the gospel around the world. You've been blessed in order to be a blessing to, to others. So that's the, the third facet of missions. And we come now Finally, to the fourth facet of missions, which I'm calling the, the basis or the foundation of missions. What's the, what's the foundation, the basis of our mission work? And here it is. The, the basis of missions is the, the sovereignty of, of God. The sovereignty of God. If you look with me at verse 4, verse 4 is the center of this psalm. There's three verses before it. There's three verses after it, it's also situated right between the, the main refrain in verses 3 and, and 5. And it's actually the only verse in this psalm that is composed of a tricolon or three parts. Okay, you see all the other verses in Psalm 67 are just two lines. Verse 4 is three lines, and that's reflected in the, in the Hebrew text as well. What this does is it gives a, a particular emphasis to verse 4. An opening line of verse 4 says, let, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. So it's this prayer to, to God that the nations might worship him. But notice what follows. Then gives the reason why the people should be glad and sing for joy. 
for you. Judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations on earth. So God is pictured here as the one who who judges and guides all of the nations of the earth. In other words, he's pictured here as the sovereign one. And God's sovereignty doesn't just extend over the nation of Israel, it extends over all of the nations of the world. He's not going to judge and guide just the nation of Israel. He's going to judge and guide all the nations on the earth. And you see, it's that reality that is the basis, it's the foundation for world missions. The author of Psalm 67, he can, he can pray boldly that all the nations would worship God precisely because God is already sovereign over these nations. And as the sovereign king of the nations, he is worthy to receive their praise. They owe God their worship. You see, missions is not about calling people to make God their Lord and King. It's not what Psalm 67 is teaching us here. It's teaching that God is already the Lord and King over all of these nations. And therefore, we can rightly call upon them to worship this sovereign God. You see, if God is not sovereign over the nations, we have no right to go in and tell people to make God their Lord and King. And if God isn't sovereign, then we have no hope for success or fruit from any of our mission's efforts. Because everything would be dependent upon us, and we know that wouldn't go well. Some say that the sovereignty of God makes missions and evangelism pointless. But the truth is, it's the exact opposite. We do missions because God is sovereign, right? Because he is the king over all the nations. He guides the nations into a saving knowledge of himself. And that gives us confidence. That gives us boldness in our missionary outreach, knowing that God is ultimately in control of, of, of the results. So there's a little glimpse here from Psalm 67 into missions. And, and hopefully this will help you to think more biblically about missions and encourage you to, to be more involved as well. That there are, in my opinion, few things more exciting than this picture found here of all peoples and nations praising God. And, and really what Psalm 67 is doing, it's anticipating that great messianic age in the future when all peoples and nations will indeed offer praise to the God who reigns over the whole world, right? It's, it's this missionary vision here in Psalm 67 that's brought full circle later in the book of Revelation. The picture I mentioned earlier of all nations and tribes and languages worshiping Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, I can't wait for that glorious day. It is going to be just marvelous. And the beautiful thing about the vision in the book of Revelation is that it describes how this vision in Psalm 67 is accomplished. It's, it's accomplished not through our own strength and zeal, but through Jesus Christ, specifically through his atoning death. It says in Revelation that Jesus was slain and by his blood, he ransomed people from every nation and tribe and language. And how great is that? Jesus lays down his life on the cross. He sheds his own blood to make this vision here a reality. And it is the Lord Jesus who continues to work now to bring the very people he shed his blood for into his kingdom. Through his spirit, he is raising up laborers 
in the church to go to the mission field. He's raising up others to support those who go. He's changing the hearts and minds of people around the world. He's drawing people to himself. I think it's easy to miss this. And sometimes I think we can have this very negative outlook on the, on the future of Christianity because of what we see around us in America. But I, I want you to be encouraged. Jesus Christ is working all around the world. Even right now, you can find Christians in so many different nations. And in Africa, Christianity is growing. In China, Christianity is growing. In Iran, Christianity is, is growing. In many countries in South America, Christianity is growing. Christianity is a global religion because of the powerful work of Jesus Christ. And what an encouragement that ought to be to you to participate with God in his mission to the ends of the earth. Jesus laid down his very own life to make this vision a reality. He's working now through his spirit to bring all these peoples into his kingdom. You see, this is the good news. Jesus is the ultimate one working to bring this vision to a completion. It's not dependent upon you. You're simply called to participate with him, join with him in his mission to the ends of the earth in order that he may receive the reward of his suffering. And as you do so, may you pray like the psalmist does here in Psalm 67. May you learn to pray, O oh God, be gracious to us, bless us, and make your face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let's, let's pray to that end now. Oh Lord God, may you be gracious to us, may you bless us, may you make your face to shine upon us. Not so that we might keep and enjoy all of your blessings to ourselves, but so that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. Oh God, use us, use your church to be a means for reaching out to the rest of the world with the gospel. Use us as individual believers as the channel for bringing the good news of Christ to the lost. Oh Lord, how we long for that day and all peoples from all over the world will be worshiping before your throne and giving you glory. And we ask that you and your grand sovereignty might bring this to pass in your perfect timing. And help us, Lord, as your people, to participate with you in this work. In all things, Lord, we do pray that your name would be lifted up and glorified. In Jesus Christ we ask. Amen.